You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. We'll begin reading at verse 1. Meanwhile, back at the camp, no, back at the ranch, no. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias? Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on State Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, "Um, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Father, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and give us ears to hear what you're saying to the church. Give us, in Jesus' name, the revelation of your love. Amen. So we end chapter 8 with Philip preaching the gospel as he's supernaturally transported to Astos and he just goes through all the towns and villages proclaiming the good news of Jesus in town, village, 
all the way to Caesarea, and there's where, we, where he stops. We find later in Acts, that's where, where Paul picks up with, with him is in Caesarea. And so it appears that Philip has stayed there. As we look at the scripture today, we, we see that the persecution that started in Jerusalem has intensified. And as Saul was that, at, the, at the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, as, as that took place, we find that now Saul has got murder in his heart. Murder in his heart for everyone who knows Jesus, who claims to be a Christian. They call it the way. And so he's, he's got this heart posture. And as you read in the NIV, it says, and he's breathing out murderous threats. Like, I'm going to kill all of you. you know? And it's like, oh, my stars. This... So that's, that's where we meet Saul at the beginning of chapter 9. Fortunately, that's not where he is at the end of chapter 9. But at the beginning of chapter 9, we find that he is an, an adversary against everything, the Christianity, everything that the gospel of Jesus Christ stands for. And he is a zealous Jew, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and he is so convinced that Jesus isn't the Messiah that he's ready to take everyone and put them in prison that believes that. And so we, we've got a pretty intense situation. So Saul's breathing out murderous threats. He gets letters from uh, the chief priests in Jerusalem because now he wants to take his, his persecution beyond just the realms of Jerusalem. And so now he's wanting permission to go and check out Damascus. There must be a stronghold of Christianity in, in Damascus because he's wanting to go there. And he's pretty convinced that he's going to be able to bring some prisoners back to Jerusalem. But on the way, he has an encounter with Jesus. Now, when you encounter Jesus, things change. Things change when you encounter Jesus and you know Jesus. When you know Jesus and you've been walking with Jesus for 30, 40 years and you have an encounter with Jesus, things change. Things always change every time you have an encounter with Jesus. I love encounters with Jesus. I believe that the Lord is opening up uh, this season in our lives to have more and more encounters, personal encounters with the Lord Jesus himself. The Holy Spirit wants to glorify Jesus on the earth. And so he will move on you in ways that will cause you to see Jesus and to encounter Jesus. Jesus is just so amazing. I've been asking the Lord, Lord, I, I need a greater understanding, a greater revelation of the full wonderfulness of Jesus. Because sometimes, you know, we, we think we know Jesus. We, we, we know from Sunday school, he's the good shepherd that gets the little lammies and puts them on his shoulders and he carries them and he's so safe and wonderful and we just love little Jesus that loves those little baby lambs. It's so sweet. And then all of a sudden we hit our teens and it's like baby, baby lamb Jesus just doesn't fit when we turn it into adolescence. And it's kind of like I'm almost embarrassed of baby lamb Jesus. That's just kind of feels a little feminine. It feels a little, you know, I want masculine Jesus yeah. you know let's see Jesus take the whip and drive out the money changers and overthrow the tables and yeah let's see you know a little Rambo a little Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. Jesus type of stuff let's see let's see somebody's got some muscle you know all of a sudden you get a revelation of how powerful and how strong Jesus is yeah. 
He exceeds anything that the earth has to offer. His power is matchless. It's amazing when you start to see Jesus. And then as you get into adulthood, you're, you're, you're facing adult-level problems, and so often we're still stuck with a relationship and an encounter with Jesus that happened when we were children or happened when we went to camp or happened when we were early in our teens, but now we're in adulthood and we're single adults and, and we're trying to figure out, you know, how our sexuality, how relationships work, how do we get the job, the employment that we want, the car that we want, the house, the things that we want. We're trying, and, and now we need to have a, an encounter with Jesus to find out who is this one that's able to provide for every need that I have. And oftentimes when he's still the little baby lamb Jesus, we're, we're running it on our own. We're trying to figure it out. We're the ones that are trying to make ends meet. We think all the responsibility and weight relies upon us. And we think these are conversations that we don't need to have with Jesus because he's over there carrying little baby lambs. No, he, he is the Jesus that understands our needs in the business world. He understands what it takes to be in this culture, in the USA, and, and what, it, what you need to, to have to become alive, full, whole, well, providing for yourself. And then you get married. Oh my gosh, do you need Jesus? Yes. As Marty and Jessica will find out in a new way. They need Jesus more than they did when they were single. Now they, they got to live with this other person that's different and different gender and different temperaments, different personalities. And we got to figure out how do we live peaceably with one another? It only took my wife and I 44 years, but we're getting, we're getting there. We're, we're, we're starting to get there, you know, and understand that. We need a Jesus that knows how to come and do transformation in our hearts. We need a Jesus that knows how to come to us in such a way as that he changes us. Sometimes we, we go on these self-improvement programs where it's an exercise of our will, where everything works just fine as long as our willpower is at a 10. But if it starts diminishing, all of a sudden we fall back into the other stuff. No, we don't want a willpower relationship with Jesus. We want a personal, intimate, transformational relationship with Jesus to where that stuff inside of us doesn't require us to constantly grit our teeth and white-knuckle it through life, trying to be a good Christian. No, we fall passionately madly in love with Jesus as the one who is our eternal bridegroom and we're the bride and that's kind of hard for us men but I'm starting to really like being the bride of Christ open up spend time with him listen to what he wants to say knowing that his love for me as his bride is infinite He'll never, he'll never forsake me. He'll never neglect me. He is always, always there. So I love that. I think that's just amazing. So Saul's riding his horse. He's ready to go persecute the Christians at Damascus, and boom, a light hits. And it just shines around him, and he, and he falls to the ground. And it's just, he, he, his whole world gets rocked. 
He has this radical, radical experience. And he doesn't know what it is. He, he, he doesn't know why this has happened. So the Lord initiates. I love it when the Lord asks us a question. Has he asked you a question lately? Get there where you're getting ready to hear, and he'll be asking you some questions. And he asks Saul, why are you persecuting me? I'm not persecuting you. I'm just going after all the Christians. No. Why are you persecuting me? Who are you? He doesn't have a clue who's, who's talking. He has that encounter, falls to the ground. He hears this voice. And the Lord tells him, get up and I'll show you. I, 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 sometimes Jesus can deal with us in a very gentle way. And sometimes he just cuts to the quick. And, and with, with, uh, with Saul here, man, he just says, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Okay. <laughs> hi, hi, Captain. You know, he's ready to go. So he gets off the ground, gets up, opens his eyes, and there's, they're not working. The flash of light just blinded him temporarily. I don't know. He can't see. He's blind. It's not, it's not the kind of blind of, of, of a quick. This is worse than looking at, at the, the solar eclipse. You know, this is, this is one of those things that's really, the light that comes from heaven is, is pretty intense. And so he can't blind. But all the other guys, they're fine. All the other men with him are, are just fine. The light didn't affect them that way. So he couldn't see anything. So the men have to lead him by the hand. I love that, that we get uh, that input there so that we understand that this is an intense encounter with Saul. This is the Lord and Saul. And the other men, they heard the voice, but they didn't see anyone. Well, Saul didn't see anyone either. Nobody saw anyone. But they heard. They heard the voice of Jesus come straight from heaven. So we find out that he's blind for three days. He doesn't eat anything and he doesn't drink anything. I'd say he's in a state of everything's upside down. Have you had those moments in life? You think you're, you've got your day planned, you're ready to go, and then all of a sudden, you know, your car gets T-boned and your day is transformed. Or you, you, you get a message that, you know, someone's having an emergency procedure and all of a sudden uh, your, your family member, your beloved, and your, your whole day's changed. You get news that someone died and it just stops you. Salt is completely dead in the water. He's not moving. He goes into Damascus and for three days he doesn't eat. For three days he doesn't drink. And for three days he can't see anything. But I think what's not written in the text is the conversation with Jesus is continuing. Something's happening and he's starting to connect with Jesus. Hmm. So what happens with Ananias? There's a disciple in Damascus. I just get the willies when I saw that. You know, it's just like, it's like 
there's a disciple in Greenfield. Yeah, yeah. We've got, a, we've got an urgent situation. There's a disciple in Indianapolis. You know, there's a disciple in Damascus, and his name is Ananias. Wow, I love that. <laughs> he has a vision. Ananias gets the vision. You really need a vision when you're about to be assigned to a task that you might be a little resistant to. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. See, <laughs> when you can't see, you pray. And when you can't see and your world's racked, your world is just racked, you, you, you're not worried about food. You're not worried about drinking. You're trying to connect with God. And he's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He understands Yahweh. He understands the God of the Old Testament. And he's crying out to God. So he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now, do you get this? Saul's over here. He's blind. He's not eating. He's praying. And while he's praying, he gets a vision. And in his vision, this guy named Ananias is coming to restore his sight. Three days go by. Okay? I'm not sure why three days. Could be it took the Lord that long to convince Ananias to go. It could be that there's something significant about three days. The Lord Jesus was in the grave for three days. And on the third day, he was raised. There's something resurrection-like. And there's something that is resurrection-like for Saul that is about to happen. His life is about to change and be transformed. So we've got the, this dynamic going. It's, it's so cool. So there's Ananias. He heard... He's heard the reports about Saul. In the grapevine, in Damascus, they've heard what's happening in Jerusalem. And they've heard that the ringleader is Saul. And so the word has gotten already to Damascus. They know what he's, what he's able to do. And so he's, he's wanting to let the Lord know. We like to inform the Lord, don't we? Like he doesn't know these things. Like, Lord, just in case you didn't know, my gas tank is a half full and, you know, i got to go all the way to Kentucky or whatever. All the harm that he's done the saints in Jerusalem. The persecution hasn't gone outside Jerusalem until this trip of, of Saul. It's starting to spread. He's come here with authority. So Ananias understands authority. He understands that the chief priests from Jerusalem have given him authority to come and capture all those. And to arrest all who call on your name. Wow. But the Lord said to Ananias. I love it. I love the divine conjunction. But. Then the Lord spoke. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles. Okay. Just all Gentiles. That's us. They're kings. That's us. Your royalty. And before the people of Israel. 
And we see that's exactly what Saul did. He starts off with Israel. He goes to the Gentiles and he appeals to Caesar. He's before Agrippa. Uh, he, he, he's before the kings, the Gentile kings. All this comes to pass. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And if you know about Paul, he suffered a lot for the sake of the name. You know, beaten, 40 stripes, shipwrecked, stoned multiple times, left for dead. Amazing. So then Ananias went to the house and he entered it. Okay, when God says, but, there's, okay, go. He goes. Placing his hands on Saul, brother Saul. Something's happened with his heart. He could have just said Saul. But he knows that the Lord is doing something, that there is an encounter with this man. The Lord's told him he's his chosen instrument. So he knows that the Lord is working in his life. And so he's, he's now got confidence. He's heard the word of the Lord. He's going. He's obeying. He's there. <laughs> he lays his hands on him and he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me. Remember, he's already had a vision. Ananias is coming. So that you may see again. He knew that Ananias was coming to restore his sight. He had no idea the next part. And be filled with the Holy Spirit. I wish I was in the house that day. I'd love to heard the rest of the conversation because once again, kind of like the Ethiopian eunuch, as, as Philip was talking to him, next thing we know that he sees water and he says, uh, let's go get baptized. And, and so what happens here? <clears throat> we just have the text so that you can see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales falls from Saul's eyes. He could see again. He got up and he was baptized. Wow. He was baptized. Taking some food, he regained his strength. And then we realized that he stayed several days there with the, with the disciples in Damascus. Wow. Is that pretty cool? It, it's really... a. a a demonstration of how we get to partner with the Lord. Ananias got to partner with the Lord on a divine assignment. The Lord spoke to him, told him what to do, told him what to say. He went, he did it, boom. Encounter, an experience with, the, with Jesus, healing, transformation, baptism, conversion, huh? calling all of this takes place because someone was listening and partnered with the heart of God and went and did God's work now, I don't know about you but to me that just gives me goosebumps I think that is cool that is more fun than getting dirty I mean that is just amazing to think that the God of all creation would speak to us and allow us to be a part of his redemptive program for humanity anybody want to sign up 
Yeah, I think it's so much fun. You know, this whole thing about prophetic words and prophetic messages and prophetic revelation is something that, that kind of got restored to the church in the mid-80s and has continued to develop. And when it first, when it first happened, it was with a lot of first-generation Christians, a lot of uh, people in the Jesus movement. They just got saved. They've been doing drugs. They've been doing sex. They've just been out free, hippie, hippie love type of stuff in the 60s, 70s. And, and then as this gets introduced and as they came in, it, there was so much brokenness that the prophetic message oftentimes came out of such wounded hearts and wounded places and, and, and the prophetic people at that time that it did a lot of damage. It did a lot of good, but, but for some people it did some real damage because there was a prophecy that sometimes prophets have this rejection complex on them because they always deliver the word of the Lord and the people don't want to hear the word of the Lord. And so then they shake their dust off and they do these kind of things. Or they, and, and then the enemy gets them to think that they're the only ones. We see that even in the Old Testament. But New Testament prophecy is different. It's still the word of the Lord. But now it's not just one or two. But now it's something that's given to the body of Christ for the encouragement the comfort, the building up in our faith, our, 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 our life with God. And so I, I, I just think prophecy is cool. It's just amazing. One minute you don't know this, and the next minute God reveals something, and you know, you know something now that you didn't know a minute ago. Is that good? Yeah. Anybody still in school? Yeah, we got some. You might try this next time you get a test and you don't know the answer. Lord, I don't know the answer to this. See if he'll give you the answer. I don't know if that's called cheating or not. I don't, I don't think so. If the Lord gives it to you, I think it's, it should be good. But uh, we, we call that imbalance. But when we know something and then knowing how to minister that. And that's what we're going to do on Wednesday nights. That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how do you get, sometimes we hear or we, we see something, we get some kind of, some form of revelation, but we don't know how to steward it. We don't know how to, to use that so that one, and this is first foremost of, on anything, that we're able to minister it from the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father. You know, that goes true for, for sermons. That goes true for Bible studies. That goes true for any time we are delivering to another person the message that God has in his word, in our hearts. Whenever we're sharing that word, whether it's a prophetic word, we get a word of knowledge, something like that happens and we have it. If we don't share it from the heart of the Father, we've missed the boat. Because sometimes you can say something and you can be absolutely word for word with what you heard, but it has a whole different meaning. I do this in pre-marriage counseling a lot of times and, and I talk about speaker-listener technique and we go through this little exercise and usually to illustrate it, I do something like this. There's the speaker and the speaker speaks and the listener, the listener listens. 
The listener does not interrupt. The listener does not rebut. The listener listens. And then the listener paraphrases or repeats back what he or she has heard the speaker say. So I illustrate like this. Wah, 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 wah. What did you hear me say? I heard you say, wah, 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 wah. Got it verbatim. But that's not what I said. Lose the attitude. You know, we find that there's that. And we, we get the same thing in prophetic ministry. Sometimes we may be able to give the word for word of what we've heard the Lord say, but we're doing it without his heart. We've got to know his heart. That's why the prophetic ministry has to come from the foundation of an intimate relationship with Jesus. We've got to know the heart of the Father if we're going to be able to prophesy in a way that encourages and edifies and builds up and brings comfort. Okay, I hope I see you all Wednesday as we come. Just some of the things that I was looking as I, as I, I just kind of doing a devotional here on the passage. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. I'm just saying, Lord, let, there be, let it be said that in Mount Comfort, in Greenfield, in Indianapolis, there was a disciple named Michelle and Brian and Ada and Sally and Jim. Someone who is a learner of the master, that's a disciple. Someone who's following the master and is ready to do the master's bidding. And so when there's a need, you can call on us. You can call on us, Lord, when you need someone to speak your heart, your message to another. Hmm, I love that. There was one thing that I heard as I was praying this morning as getting ready for the service. I want to encourage some of us who are really thankful for what God has delivered us from. That's good. Lord, I am so thankful that you delivered me from this. So thankful that you delivered me from that. So thankful, Lord. But don't stop there. Whatever he delivers you from, the purpose of being delivered from something is so that you can be delivered to something. And I was just, I was just uh, so moved by the Holy Spirit when I realized, oh Lord, I want my thanksgiving not to just be historical. I want it to be present and futuristic focused. I want to realize that you've delivered me from something because you have called me to something. And there's, there's this future that you have for me. There's this present that you have for me. I'm free from that so that I can experience and encounter you now, which is going to have an effect in all the days ahead. So if, if that's you, I just want to bless you with that and just say, let's focus on being thankful for what he's delivering us unto. We'll always be thankful for what he's delivered us from. But now let's put more eggs in, in the basket of what he's delivered us unto, what he's delivering us to, 
what he's calling us to. Okay? Let me pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for what you're doing right now. We say, Jesus, you are the Savior of the world. You are the Lamb without spot, without blemish. You are the perfect sacrifice of the Father for us. You laid your life down. No one took it from you. You laid your life down, and on the third day, you were raised from the dead. You have made yourself known to your disciples. <laughs> for over 40 days, you taught them about the kingdom. And then you ascended to your rightful place in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And we praise you as the ascended Christ. We don't see you as the lammy, the lammy shepherd. We see you as the ascended Savior, the ascended Christ. Uh, who's coming in all your glory. And Lord, we, we just want to say we want to be your disciples. We want to be your disciples here. And we want to partner with you to speak your word in ways that causes people to have a healing, miraculous encounter, a transforming encounter with you. And so, Lord, speak to us through the night. Train us, equip us. Cause us to know how to hear, how to distinguish what's you and what's not you. And I pray, Father, that you would sanctify our thoughts. Let us think with the very mind of Christ that's been given to us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.